opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. When you got a love and it's good like it should be Makes you never want to give it up Cause you know that some people die for love And I believe it's true cause I do the same for you Good morning, you're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, California. Streaming online at KUCI.org and podcasting on iTunes. Welcome to Fighting for Love. This show will help you turn conflict into collaboration in all your relationships. I'm Lloyd, the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank, an attorney mediator since 1985. She's the author of several books, including Negotiations, Breakthroughs, and Fighting for Love. She's a mediator for the Orange County Superior Court Civil Mediation Panel, and she mediates business, employment, divorce, privacy, and other civil cases in her private practice in Laguna Niguel, California. Mari's a professor of negotiations and conflict management and has been a certified state bar trainer for over 25 years. She teaches leadership and conflict management courses at Brandman University and here at UCI, and she trains corporate leaders powerful communication and conflict transformation skills. To learn more about the show and our great guests, please visit conflicthealing.com. Mari, what's your show about this morning. Well, Lloyd, today we're going to talk about the toxic workplace. And I've been reading this great book called Rising Above a Toxic Workplace, Taking Care of Yourself in an Unhealthy Environment. And this is by Paul White, who we're going to speak with, and his co-author, Gary Chapman, who's a number one New York Times bestselling author. And we've had other books by, by Gary on this show as well. Let me tell you some things about our wonderful guest who is coming to us from Kansas. Dr. Paul White is a psychologist, author, speaker, and consultant. And for over two decades, he has helped businesses and organizations make relationships work. He also, I read in his book that he also has helped couples make things work. So, you know, he's, he's done a lot in his career. He's co-author of The Five Languages of Appreciation in the Workplace. And that was, he co-authored that with Dr. Gary Chapman as well. And he's given lectures around the world to the likes of Microsoft, Princeton University, Napa Valley Community Foundation, Dartmouth College, and the Houston Community Foundation. And he's been cited in and utilized as a consultant by U.S. News and World Report, CNN, Fortune.com, the Chicago Tribune, and more. So we're just thrilled to have us join us. But if you want to find more about him, you can go and see his book and his picture and a little about him at conflicthealing.com and also at Dr. That's Dr. Paul White.com. Paul, thank you so much for joining us this morning. My pleasure, Mari. Thanks for having me. Okay, so why is it that you wrote this wonderful book, Rising Above a Toxic Workplace? Well, it actually came out of uh, my work uh, with organizations uh, applying the five languages of appreciation in the workplace and helping people learn how to effectively communicate authentic appreciation. And at breaks or afterwards, I'd have people come up and tell me sort of negative stories about their current workplace and or what a jerk their boss was. And it, it just sort of kept coming at me, and I'm like, you know, how bad is this? So uh, we have a, 
a mailing list, an email list of about 60,000 people that we sent out uh, an invitation for people to write us uh, and tell us about stories that they've had about, you know, negative experiences at work. And, oh, man, we got a lot. And so wound up uh, following up with them and interviewing them and doing some research around that and um, found out that, you know, it's it's um, a tough situation out there for a lot of people. A lot of people feel really negatively about their workplace. And so um, wrote the book and brought in uh, other um, experts to give us input. And then and then from that, I've created an online assessment tool and some training materials to, to help people learn how to avoid becoming a toxic workplace or, if they're already in one, how to survive it. Yeah, you've got some great stories here. These are some of the stories are so similar to some of the workplace mediations I've done. So, mm-hmm. so you right. know, when you have a toxic workplace, it's an invitation for disputes that can turn into terrible lawsuits as well and embarrassment for the company. So uh, the toxic workplace isn't good for the owners or, or the corporation or anybody, right? Absolutely. I mean, when it, things aren't going well, they don't serve their customers well, uh, they don't function effectively, and whether it's a, a for-profit as far as, you know, making uh, money or, you know, really reaching their uh, mission as a not-for-profit, when things are unhealthy, uh, it just doesn't go well for anybody. Right. So those people who are driving by who are bosses or managers really listening, and those people who are listening, who are working for companies, you know, you need to listen to this too. I mean, fortunately, for the past 30 years, I've had my own business, but you know, but I've had to work with toxic clients and I've had to work, you know, and do workshops for people in corporations. And I see what goes on in there. And then I get complaints, you know, from my daughter who tells me about her toxic <laughs> workplace. So, um, yeah, it's it's really unfortunate because we spend so much of our waking day at work. And if it's a toxic place, that's toxic for our whole health, right? Absolutely. I mean, and in fact, that's one of sort of the signs that we talk about of how do you know whether you know you're working sort of a normally stressful work environment or an unhealthy one or a truly toxic one and you know the definition of toxic is that it's unhealthy or poisonous and it starts to affect not only you know your experience at work but also your physical health your relational health um, and it you don't sleep well and it really starts to just um, create a sense that you're almost dying uh, as a person and you've got to, to pay attention to that because uh, it will. It may not kill you physically, but it, it really can kill your spirit if you don't get out of there. Uh, if you can't make it better, right, right. So let's talk a little bit about how we do make work work relationships work. Can you give us? I know. Let's kind of review those those five um, uh, languages of appreciation. I remember reading the five languages of love and. You know, we just wrote uh, a new book called uh, Fighting for Love. My uh, a therapist and I wrote it together. And we talk about the five languages of love by Gary Chapman. So let's right. just review for, for everyone how, how appreciation is so important in the workplace and what those five languages are. Yeah, so the five languages are actually the same in name as the five love languages, but they obviously differ in what they look like day-to-day practically. Uh, it's words of affirmation, so it could be a compliment uh, or a word of thanks to somebody. 
um, quality time, uh, and that can either be you know time with your supervisor or with your colleagues. Acts of service, uh, which is not really rescuing somebody who's not performing well, but those times when you get behind sort of the eight ball and on a project and need some help to, to not spend all night there. Uh, tangible gifts, which in the work setting is not compensation or bonuses, but it's really just small things that help you uh, communicate that you're getting to know that other person, you think about them. So it could be their favorite Starbucks or it could be a magazine about one of their hobbies. And then even physical touch, which is a fun one to talk about. <laughs> you have to be careful on that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and people sort of, you know, freak out about that. But, you know, physical touch happens in the workplace. We found that it's largely spontaneous celebration, right? It's So it's a high five when you uh, finish a project or a fist bump if you you know, solve a problem, a congratulatory handshake if you make a big sale. So that's the kind of thing that we're talking about. And what the important concept, one of the important concepts of uh, the book in the five languages is that not everybody feels appreciated in the same ways. And so some people do value words, but our research shows that's only about 45% of the workforce. So that's 55%. That, that's not really the way they feel valued. Um, and so we need to think about other languages than our own. And we talk to leaders about that. You've got to learn and understand people who are different than you. Otherwise, you just have sort of little mini yous uh, walking around. And you may be great, but you need people who are different, bring different skills, personality, motivation to make a, a good functional team. So being able to communicate appreciation in a way that's meaningful to the recipient, not necessarily to you, but to the recipient, is really key to help people feel valued. Exactly. And sometimes, if you're like me, you want all five languages. <laughs> so, you know, obviously we there's... Sometimes there... We talk about either, you can either be uh, people that are like that. They're either uh, multilingual and easy to, to... Or they're a black hole and there's nothing uh, that will meet the need. So right, I, I, right, I'm right. sure for you, it's, it's, the, it's the former, not the latter. No, I, you know, I always kid my husband, you know, for my birthday or for Mother's Day or whatever. I go, you know, I really don't want a gift. I want you to write a poem because words of appreciation are very important to me, along with all the others. But I, I you know, so the poor guy has learned to be a great poet in, in all the years what we've been together. Oh, good, good, good. <laughs> no, but, you know, using as many languages as possible and then seeing how they respond is a good way to learn, right? <laughs> Absolutely. And and one of the things that we did along the way is we developed an online assessment tool to be used in the workplace that you can give your colleagues and, and uh, people in, in your workplace to find out how they like to be shown appreciation. Because one of the key things that we found that's a little bit different than the five love languages is that you can get the language right, but if uh, you don't get the action right, uh, it still sort of doesn't hit the mark. So, for example, quality time. Some people would like uh, time with their supervisor and be able to share things or get advice. Other people don't. They, they say, my supervisor's too intense and they sort of, you know, intimidate me, but I like to hang out with my colleagues. And so you've, we've developed uh, the Motivating by Appreciation inventory that uh, gives not only the language but the actions so that uh, you don't sort of have to just do a shotgun approach and, and hope you hit it, but really be able to hit the mark uh, in a targeted kind of way. So that online um, website, is that on drpaulwhite.com or where is that, or appreciation sort of, at work.com? Yeah. Correct. Yeah, okay. appreciationatwork.com will get people to any of the materials that we talk about, about appreciation, as well as the toxic workplace. That's sort of the, the, the centerpiece that people can get to. And I just want to mention that these are there's a lot of free tools and resources that will help you at the workplace. So thank you so much for that, Paul. Okay, yeah. so, 
so let's talk a little bit about um you know how you you know how you eliminate cynicism and sarcasm and lack of trust in the office and i hate gossip oh my god that's a, that's when i always hear <laughs> <laughs> yeah so you know what's interesting is most of the stuff I do as a psychologist is not that complex conceptually, right? I'm almost a little embarrassed by it because it's fairly simplistic to think about, but it's tougher to implement. And, and one of the key concepts that we know, if you're in a, let's just call it a negative workplace, it may not be toxic. We don't, let's say we don't know how bad it is, but it's just more negative than what you'd like or uh, think would be healthy, is there's sort of two nice, simple steps to take. One is don't engage in or support the negative. So if people are gossiping, don't participate. Just politely say, hey, I'll catch you guys later. You walk away. You don't have to call them out on it, but just don't add fuel to the fire. Mm-hmm. Um, and that can be gossiping. It can be complaining. It can be people, you know, grumbling or, you know, cutting remarks. If you just don't engage in the negative, that helps settle it down. I mean, it's sort of like a fire that it burns out fuel. And then the second part is, again, certainly obvious, but it's to say or do something positive. So, and it doesn't have to be about another person. I mean, obviously, communicating appreciation for a colleague for something they've done for you uh, is helpful, but it can be as as easy as just saying, man, isn't it a beautiful day out? You know, I just love the sunshine. I love these flowers that are out right now. And it totally derails that whole negativity that goes. So it doesn't have to be about the workplace. Or you can ask somebody, hey, how are your kids doing in soccer? And somewhat it's distracting, but also you just try to call to uh, attention to the good things in life. So not engaging in the negative, trying to move towards the positive is a nice starting point. It actually can really make a, a big difference over time. Yeah, and I love that because if you, I like the second one so much because if you don't engage and you walk away, they're going to talk about you. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. But if you say, oh, did I tell you about this? You know, this is, or did you see this? Look at this fun thing, you know, that I found on the internet or something like that. And you just totally reframe the whole conversation and get get them off of it, then then, uh, it gets off of it. You know, another thing I hear about a lot is staff burnout. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I know my daughter talks to me about that. She's a managing editor of a, of a, of a corporation. And, um, you know, a lot of people just want to get out, you know, including her. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. you know, so uh, the staff burnout and turnover. Uh, tell us about that. Well, you know, burnout is essentially the result of stress over time. Stress being that demands and perceived demands are greater than uh, the resources you have to meet those demands. And it's sort of like drawing water from a well. And if you just keep going and keep going, at some point the well will become dry if it's not replenished. And that's what burnout is. It's just you don't have anything left to give. You just feel like, I'm done, I'm fried, I'm out of here. And that can be at the end of the day or it could be, you know, sort of in life. And and so one of the things about burnout is that, you know, we need to replenish ourselves. And part of it is replenishing ourselves, learning, right. you know, that, you know, for me, taking a walk in nature or listening to uh, classical music or uh, just going and playing versus, uh, you know, watching or doing something electronic isn't necessarily replenishing to me. Right. And so I have to sort of make sure that I go to those things. But also, we need encouragement. I mean, sometimes people say, well, I don't need to be appreciated. You know, I'll just, I motivate myself. That may be true, but, and we don't think about appreciation in our culture 
in the same way that we do encouragement and discouragement. And encouragement is essentially appreciation, but it's for the present and the future. So when people get discouraged, they feel like, you know, why do it? It doesn't matter. And that's where appreciation and true authentic appreciation can make a difference. And we really differentiate between uh, sort of traditional um, employee recognition programs, which 90% of all the companies and organizations in the U.S. have, but um, they don't work. <laughs> and they don't work in the sense of helping people feel valued. They do work sometimes in rewarding performance and increasing performance, but at an individual level, you know, getting an award in front of a group and that kind of thing is actually negative for some people. They don't like right, to do that. Right. And so we have to find out, you know, how a person wants to be appreciated. And also it has to be about them specifically. One of the things that we found is that it, it needs to be about them, that it's not just a you know group last email, way to go team, we got the project done or we met our goals for last quarter, because that doesn't say anything about Stephanie who stayed late to enter the data to get the report done. Right. So it, you'd have to say, Stephanie, hey, thanks so much for staying late last night and making sure we got the data in so we could get the report out. So then, you know, I can turn that into my supervisor. So appreciation is very individualized and specific rather than sort of a global generic kind of action or uh, comment, uh, you know, way to go team, good job. Yeah, yeah. I know she feels um, that, you know, she's been there since this was a startup and um, and done such work, such great work. And, and now they're, instead of promoting from within these people who've worked so hard, they're bringing in like Microsoft people, you know, they're bringing right. all this new thing. So, you know, it's, it's depressing for them. You know, there's about yeah, a group it, of it, five of them, like, you're not appreciating us at all. You're not promoting us. You're not doing anything. I got to get out of here, you know? Right. And in fact, one of the things we know that's, sometimes hard to convince high-level executives is that money is not a very good uh, tool for communicating appreciation. Most people don't leave jobs for more money. Most managers and, and employers think they do, but actually the research shows clearly that when people don't feel valued or appreciated, that's one of the sort of the, the tipping points for them to leave. Now they might, you know, they're not going to turn away a raise, but just getting more money doesn't make you feel appreciated if everything else stays the same, if there's not good communication, if there's not good teamwork, if you don't get along with people, a lot of conflict. And so it's really the non-financial motivators that make the biggest difference as far as people staying and not experiencing burnout. When people feel valued for who they are and what they bring, they will put up with an awful lot of stress right? and, right. and hang in there and persevere. When that's not there, they're out of there. They're like, why should I kill myself trying to you know, beat my head against the wall? when you guys don't give a rip or you're going to, you know, um, you know, promote somebody else when, it, you know, I've done the work. Right. You know, and then I hear bosses say, well, there's no loyalty anymore, you know, like there was in the old days where people were willing to stay for 30 years. But, right. you know, I think the other side of it is that there isn't that feeling of family anymore that, you know, in a lot right. of these big corporations, right? Well, and in fact, that's one of the problems with like these employee recognition programs are highly uh, structured and mechanized. And so it's almost like a computer system. It doesn't have much to do with you as a person. Uh, and you may get a little, you know, note from a peer or something like that. But these reward systems where you earn points and you can turn it in for uh, some kind of 
you know, gift or whatever. It's like when gifts are important to people, um, it's not the gift, but that you know them and you thought about them. So right. if somebody gives me a really nice, I don't know, uh, super nice watch, that's eh, okay. Watches don't, you know, flip my switch, but I like to fish. If you give me some nice fishing gear, right. you know, right. you know right. that makes a difference. And it doesn't even have to be big. I mean, if it's uh, a magazine about Big 12 football or basketball, I'm a Kansas Jayhawk fan, uh, that's different than... <laughs> And, you know, giving me a USC football magazine because I don't give a rip about <laughs> USC football. And I'm sure you guys you don't either. There you see. But uh, um, anyway, it's got to be personal and, and not uh, just generic for everybody. Right, right. So let's say you have a really toxic leader, your manager or your CEO or somebody's really toxic. Um, how, how do you, when you get into psychology, do your psychological counseling or when you do it with a group, how do you tell them to survive this? Yeah, so it's a great question because unfortunately there are a lot of really negative leaders out there. And we differentiate between a toxic leader uh, and an incompetent leader. An incompetent leader is just somebody who doesn't really know what they're doing. They may not be very skilled or bright or just don't have the experience. But a toxic leader really is a, a dangerous person. I mean, they the, the, the reason is because they're all about themselves. They're highly focused on themselves. They're narcissistic. They're highly focused on goals and achieving goals, but it's their goals. Now, right, they may right. cover that with the organizational goals, but it's about promoting themselves and so forth. And so what happens is for a toxic leader, they use people to achieve their goals. Right. They manipulate information. They take credit for things that they didn't do. Yep. They are like Teflon. They blame and put the blame on other people, and you are expendable. I mean, if you work around a toxic leader, you need to know that uh, probably one of the biggest messages is you need to protect yourself because you could be used as fodder for them to advance. And if something goes wrong, it may be put on you. So you have to document right. what you do in conversations. And I suggest following up with an email, let's say after a meeting, saying, hey, I just wanted to confirm this is what you asked me to do. And if it's different than that, please, you know, email me back. That way you've got a trail. Or, you know, if it's an important meeting, have some other people there as well, because they will twist and distort stuff to make it look, make them look good and, and you're at risk. So one is protect yourself. Do your job, too. The other thing is sometimes you get so engaged in the politics of other stuff and you wind up sort of expending your energy on these side issues and not really doing what you're supposed to. You've got to keep focused on your job, do what you're supposed to do, document it. And then the third piece in working with toxic leaders is to get some outside counsel. It doesn't have to be a counselor, but somebody that you feel like has their head on straight and you can sort of share stuff and they can tell you whether you're thinking straight or not because you get fogged in dealing with these kinds of people and what seems sort of a gray zone initially, now it's like, no, this is not right. And uh, and you lose sense of that as you get in there and sort of the whole system becomes uh, unhealthy. So you've got to have a, a sounding board that can help you uh, say, you know, boy, that does not sound right to me and you should draw a line here, that kind of thing. Yeah, it's about boundaries and sometimes it's... Uh it's really unfortunate that that's exactly who my daughter had as her boss. Um, so that was that was really rough. Then he left. Yeah. He, he blamed his whole team for everything of why he was leaving. And actually, right. they were so glad to get rid of him. 
<laughs> well, and one of, one of our uh, two two sort of unusual characteristics that we identify with toxic leaders is first of all, they look good initially. Right. Otherwise, they wouldn't get hired. Right. 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 They have skills. They're they're often very verbal. They're social and so forth. Um, and then the other part, on the other end of it, is they often have sort of this amazing early warning radar. They get out before things get bad, and they leave everybody else holding the bag. Right. And so uh, they're they're slimy sons of guns, and uh, you know they're about themselves, and so they don't care if the organization goes down or what happens as long as they move on to a better position. Yeah. Now, how do policies and procedures? How do they uh, help to make a more healthy workplace? Yeah, so one of the, the, the characteristics of a, a toxic workplace is that it has a sick system. Um, and you can find this either like, I mean, in a lot of different kinds of things, but commonly like in really big bureaucracies like hospitals and unfortunately to say universities and government agencies, or on the other end, sort of small family-owned businesses where everything's sort of informal and they've grown and they haven't really implemented and designed um, structure and policies because if there's not good communication lines and or decision-making lines or accountability, then that's sort of, you know, when you don't have good communication, you can't make good decisions. Right. Um, and there's and confusion so, and people get, there's more conflict when people don't know what they're supposed to do. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And so being able to sort of set up, not be complex, but just some structure of, okay, th- this decision needs to go through this person. And one of the key aspects of a healthy communication is that it's direct and that it's honest uh, versus indirect and distorted or wrong. And um, when you set up those systems and also hold people accountable for what they're supposed to do, when we don't, and probably the biggest and easiest example is meetings where you have a group meeting and you're working on some project and you leave and you're not sure what decision was made or who's going to do it or when, <laughs> right. that, that is just a breeding ground for excuses and blaming, right? right. Because you say, well, I didn't know I was supposed to do that. So when you have a meeting, one of the easiest ways to move towards health is to make sure, say, okay, now what would we decide here? And we agree on it. And then who's going to do it or who's responsible to see that it's done? Mm-hmm. And by when is it going to be done? And how are they going to communicate back to the rest of us that it's done? If you have those pieces in place, then it really cuts out that blaming and excuses. Now, you have to follow up with it, but if you don't have that, there's no follow-up at all because you don't know who's doing what. Yeah, yeah. We don't have a lot of time, but if you could speak a little bit about this, you know, this generational differences, because I think that, you know... I think that's an interesting aspect. How does the, you know, cross-generation issue really affect right. the workplace? And I know that's probably a lot to talk about, but I'm going to yeah, give you is, about no, a I minute. A couple, <laughs> a couple quick points. One is, I mean, it is a common issue and concern. And I did some, I've uh, done work with DirecTV across the country and their call centers and researches. And one of the things we found or uh, was that uh, what's labeled as generational issues often isn't generational. And it's just sort of framed that way. Secondly, related to that, it's not generational, but it might might be life stage in that there's a difference between what a 25-year-old single guy who lives in an apartment, his life and values is different than a 25-year-old guy who's married and has a preschooler. Right. Because of life stage. It's not about the generation, but it's about the life stage. Mm. And the other thing I'll just say quickly is that a work ethic, as we and I've written some articles on this, is that it's defined by the customer, not by even the employee. 
earlier because if a customer wants us to be available, well, if the customer is a boomer, you better be able to be there from 8 to 5 and, you know, meet with them. But if they're a millennial, you better be uh, online between 11 p.m. and 2 a.m. because that's when they, they want you, you. So And you better be able it, to text. <laughs> exactly. So a core work ethic is really the same, but ultimately the actions of what it looks like is defined by the customer rather than either the employee or the employer. I love it. What a perfect way to end. Gosh, this is terrific. I love your book, Rising Above a Toxic Workplace, Taking Care of Yourself in an Unhealthy Environment. This is great, especially for our students and grad students who are getting out and those people who are driving by who are bosses. So uh, we thank you. Why don't you just give your website and it's time to go. All right. It's appreciation at work and it's the word at appreciation at work.com. Okay. We will have you back again. Now, now you stay in touch. Okay. All right. Thank you very thank much, you. Dr. Paul White. You've been My listening. Pleasure. Great. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM Minervine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 830 and visit our website at conflicthealing.com. Thanks. Some people die for love. And I believe it's true I do the same for you. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.